0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the VescoProds.com, comic book podcast. As always, I'm dead. Just over today, we have Bertie. Hi. And Ni- right. Well now I'm sad. Yeah. Uh, yeah, if you missed the show. Fucking somehow or whatever. We're just lost as, like, we're lost as a as co host as Nico left to focus more on "quote unquote paying for things with money from jobs" which i know i guess that's fucking fine if you're a fucking square yeah but so it's just us but even that the doomsday clock's fucking at 11 at 11 p.m. But, until we fucking all die in horrible nuclear holocaust or fucking space squids, we're talking about some other fucking comic books. So, things happened in Heroes of Crisis. We, what are we talking about them yet? Because I am still months behind. And without another person here to, like, properly bounce shit off of, It's a bit, there's not much motivation for me to go read ahead in my allotted reading fucking chart. So, until we get caught up, I'm just going to be talking about that shit as I come across it. Well, I guess we'll just talk about regular comic stuff. So, Bertie, what have you been reading? All right.
1: Well, I had talked about this. Only on an anime podcast, but I mentioned it for the weirdness, so I guess I'll talk about it first. Um, a very DC Rebirth Christmas collection.
0: <laughs> oh, God. Fucking DC, man.
1: Yeah. And this one I specifically mentioned to Deadman in the context of... It made him ask the question, Why is Swamp Thing in space? <laughs>
0: I vaguely remember asking that question.
1: Yeah. So I will get to that one, but it, it's basically so the 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 collection I read is a collection of short Christmas related stories that have been made both for uh, this series. And the previous year, it was released in uh, 2016 and 2017, both the first two years of Rebirth, and this is just a collection of everything that's been made so far with one or two new stories. Okay. Uh, some of, And like any anthology collection, some of them are better than others. Uh, strangely, the Swamp Thing in Space 1 is one of the better ones, as weird as it is. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Because the premise of it is, um, basically, uh, these people are trapped, uh, these astronauts are trapped on a satellite with uh, limited food supplies, and they're stuck in quarantine because there was a radiation leak on uh, on their space station. So they can't bring the station down to save them without risking a major epidemic, and they can't. Send anything up to them to help them with that, so they without breaking quarantine. Yeah. So the head scientist, in kind of a fit of uh, fatalist paranoia, uh, the only one, some of the only plant life left is what remains of a small um, Christmas tree. So he just plans to go out and just like burn it, just as a state of fuck everything, and then swamp thing grows out of it.
0: oh fucking DC does not know what to do with Swamp Thing do they nope even going so far back as fucking brightest day they either severely underestimate or severely overestimate people's fucking care for Swamp Thing Oh God!
1: Yeah, but I mean, other than that, like, it's—I mean—it's weird that Swamp Thing of all people is the uplifting one because his whole thing is that, um, basically, that I am now stuck in a position. I—I I, I as a being am now stuck in a position of. I was a being who pursued science for the good of humanity and am now the embodiment of the Earth and am pursuing, I guess, Earth science for the sake of the Earth.
0: Yeah, Swamp Thing's always been more existential and kind of fatalist. Yeah. He's not the ho-ho-ho holiday spirit. He's the, i am gonna break your house for cutting down this tree because it's sacred to fucking the swamp or whatever.
1: Yeah, which was why it was a little weird when he saves all of the astronauts by, like, using... That Christmas tree as a vin- as a medium to channel and create uh, plant food and v- and fresh fruits and stuff on the space station. I guess it's a Christmas miracle.
0: Fresh fruit from a pine tree. Yeah. You want to just make some pine cones with peanut butter in them too? Just naturally. That's a thing. I right? mean,
1: d- do you want to explain? All of his powers? Because I have trouble with that sometimes.
0: His powers are are plant bullshit. Yeah. But one of the things... But it's very simple the way they could have got around that. Oh, he needs fruit. He grows fruit from himself. He is plants. He can't make plants do other shit, but he can make himself any plant. Isn't that basically what it is?
1: Yeah, again, that's why this one stuck out to me as one of the most memorable, just because it's so weird. I mean, if you want a, if you want a more normal uh, Christmas story that makes a lot more sense, uh, you have a story where, uh, for most of the issue, Batman and Wonder Woman are doing their own things simultaneously uh, as superheroes, and the they have their own internal monologues. This is the one done by Greg Rucka, uh, that they're they're their thoughts and their actions are different, but they kind of mirror each other. And then towards the end, they both come to the re- realization that it's way too easy for characters like them to end up lonely a lot of the time. And it ends with, uh, this apparently this tradition in the rebirth universe that wonder woman and Bruce have been doing, which is they, they celebrate the winter solstice together Huh. where they, yeah, where according to one of, I normally do this with my, uh, Amazon sisters, but since I'm not on Themyscira, I can't. At which point Bruce asks, okay, well, why won't you invite Clark? He would love this kind of thing. At which point she says, because Clark doesn't have the same relationship to the darkness that we do. Like you and I, we are our sources of light, but we are often too close to the darkness. So sometimes we need to be reminded that there's a little bit more light out there.
0: Okay. I can kind of see that. Yeah.
1: I mean, if you, I mean, I, I mean, not talking about stuff like the Injustice universe and I can see why it would be. And there are, there are other stories in here that feature the full Trinity where, like uh, the last one where uh, Bruce gets deadshot out of prison on a weekend pass because uh, the Cobra cult kidnapped his daughter and Batman agreed to help him, so, but while this is going on, Diana and Clark are both at Bruce's uh, Wayne Enterprises Christmas party, and like, where the hell is Bruce? <laughs> Until something blows up, and they're like, "Oh, there's Bruce."
0: Was this then when they were still together, or no? That that was that's that's post rebirth. That is not a thing anymore.
1: Yeah, no. That the the rebirth, the the new fifty two Superman that Diana was dating is dead. Which I, I think I realized the problem with Injust uh, the Injustice Wonder Woman I think who wrote that se- the original Injustice series uh, like not
0: the Tom Taylor the first one I think so
1: okay I'd have to I'd have to check but um, I'll look it up uh, but uh, I just realized when that's when both the first game and the first comic were being developed the dynamic that everyone remembers from for Superman for Wonder Woman is you're strong. I know.
0: Yes, it is Tom Taylor.
1: Okay. Which I generally like Tom Taylor, but there's some stuff in some of his books that I'm like, oh, come on, man.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair.
1: Yeah. But, uh... And, yeah, it's... There's other fun, weird ones. Like, the, the the since this is an anthology story, there's a wraparound to explain why all these tales are being told. And yeah. in this case, um, it's... Uh, super. Uh, Clark Kent at a bar. Boom, uh, kind of blue about the fact that no matter how much good he does as Superman, it feels like there's no end to it. At which point, um, what's the sea captain who's always like the Superman fan in B- Bibbo, or is that his name?
0: Oh, I that is a too deep a cut for me.
1: <laughs> okay, he's played by uh, uh, the guy who voiced um the Bastiche in the Superman animated series. I just can't remember his name off the top of my head. But, uh... Bebo Babowski, I think is how you say his name, but I could be wrong. Uh, but he's the one telling all these stories he's heard about various superheroes and them doing things. Some of them are just simpler than others. Like, it apparently never occurred to Flash until right when it happened that, oh, this plane is downed in Central City because of, uh... Record blizzards. All these kids have nowhere to get in time for Christmas. Oh wait, I'm the
0: Flash. <laughs> 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 oh God,
1: Barry can be a bit of an idiot.
0: <laughs> yeah, a little bit, just a little bit.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some of them, I'm not as sure how I feel about it. Like Starfire and the Teen Titans. Fight the literal ghost of Christmas past.
0: So. What?
1: Yeah, um. Some, something related that. Uh, some raven related thing where, like, ghostly entities that feed on negative emotion are coming out in the form of the ghosts from, from Dickensian Christmas stories. And this is mostly focused on the ghost of Christmas past. What the I fuck? was like, oh, okay, why?
0: <laughs> because, I mean, yeah, he worked as a metaphor, but what if he worked as, like, an actual thing, could punch. <laughs> oh, so, God.
1: But, I mean, that, that's why I said when you have an anthology, it can be in mixed bag. you yeah, just a bit. But, yeah, but the stuff that's good, I think, is good enough. I mean... Uh, The wraparound story for this thing ends with uh, uh, bitter misanthrope uh, John Constantine being dragged to Clark's family's house for Christmas and being forced to either not smoke, not drink, and wear a Santa hat.
0: Oh, God. He would kill himself. (laughs) Oh, no, wait. That would be actual Constantine. This is new. This is rebirth Constantine. So he's more down for it, I guess.
1: He doesn't look like he's going to kill himself.
0: It's a comedy shot of him slouched over in a big chair with a Santa hat dripping over his face while he's pouting.
1: Basically, yeah.
0: Man, ever since Constantine started getting really popular, he has... They've, they've well, really been...
1: Well, all the vertigo and like this is the problem I've had with the quote-unquote simplification of the DC universe. All of the, like, Vertigo and Wildstorm stuff doesn't really fit that well in the mainstream DC universe, but with a few minor exceptions, DC Comics doesn't really seem to want to do anything with its other imprints anymore, so it's just content to use the popular characters wherever it can.
0: That's some some fucking editor shit. Like, no one, who, no one who would look at these characters would think, you know what I really want to see? Just fucking... I want to see Midnighter trying to hide an awkward boner while he's around Superman.
1: <clears throat> yeah. I mean, to, sometimes it worked. Like, Justice League Dark worked out okay, but more often than not, it's not a good idea.
0: Yeah, Justice League Dark was one of the early... Like kind of things where they were still keeping the characters relatively themselves, but it's like as they've gotten more and more integrated, it has been like John Constantine has turned more has turned less and less has turned more towards the the like Hollywood side of moral ambiguity, where they'll do the good thing. Well, where they, where, they, where they will like more often than not do the good thing, but say a cuss while doing it. As opposed to actual moral ambiguity of of like, hey, I stop demons, but like I send people to hell doing it.
1: Yeah.
0: Also made them a lot more fuckable. Yeah. It's kind of all around. But anyway. And they'll say about the Christmas thing.
1: Uh yeah, I think it's worth a shot. I mean, I didn't pay that much for it. I got it for like four bucks, and there's so much content in it. It's it was worth the price when I got it. It's just, but like I said, it's very it's the good stuff is good, but like any anthology series that has a whole lot of stuff in it, it can be very uneven.
0: Yeah. All righty then. Mm-hmm. Speaking of uneven, uh, the fucking DC Hanna Barbera shit. That's a fucking bag uneven. It is so, so much of it is swings in between fucking like Elmer Fudd and they like the Elmer Fudd Batman thing and then the Wacky Racers reboot or like the Scooby-Doo shit. I'm just like surprisingly poignant or just dreck. And I got to a new and I in my reading, I got to a new fucking cluster of them uh, read two and gave up. Uh, The one that actually made me gave up was a Deathstroke Yogi Bear, which I that's I get you're going for like weird pairings and whatever, but like fucking Christ, dude, come on, that is so dumb. And another one that is still like just thinking about it makes no goddamn sense, but they. Managed to kind of pull something off with it because it was written by Mark Russell. Uh, Green Lantern Huckleberry Hound. So this is this one is specifically about the John Stewart Green Lantern, and this is back in the early days of him being a lantern. He is like rolling around with uh, his with partner trying to like learn running the ropes and stuff. Uh, he they go to like this giant. They go to this planet full of like, giant fucking bugs and shit, and he has to like try to react in time to be able to like properly utilize the ring. And one of the things he has to learn is he has to go down to Earth and spend a week there and not use the ring at all, no matter what happens. And he happens to go down there in what looks like the midst of the Civil Rights Movement. So a lot of fucking black people being beaten by cops. And it is him like talking to old war buddies, talking to his family and seeing all of that shit happening. Just, just like, just like straight up just watching cops just walk up to black people and just start beating them. And in the middle of all that, he actually, he ends up running into Huckleberry Hound, who is currently an aging, struggling stand up comic. Apparently, John used to grow up watching Huckleberry Hound show, but then that went off the air, and he ended up fucking up at a USO show, and so he's kind of been on the downward spiral ever since. Okay, then. <laughs> yeah. They get they get into and the more like the moral of the thing is that the lesson that they the lesson that they were trying to teach, the language they were trying to teach John was. Was like when to br- like what was when to break rules and how to use your power appropriately without becoming dictators. Like one of the early things of, of like, hey, this is what you can't be. Is they went to Sinestro's planet.
1: Ah, uh, yeah, that'll do it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, the lesson was all right. There's Sinestro. Don't be that. And just hang out with all these, hang out with all this racism, and then we'll see how long you last. Yeah, like it's written by Mark. Like I said, written by Mark Russell, who did uh, who did uh, Prez and the Flintstones comic, and uh, and Snagglepuss. I think pretty sure Snagglepuss was him. And yeah, he has that. He has that very that very unique set of skills to be able to write, like, politically aware and, like, socially aware comics nowadays that not a whole lot of people have. It's usually, it's usually a bit – it's usually about as subtle as this, but it is written with a deftness that is a, that is able to come across – that is that, – that, that, apologies that, – that it is able to come across not as – Super preachy or anything, you're, you're able to just go in there, see what the point is, get the point, and then leave having had a decent time. I feel like that's fair to say.
1: Yeah, I guess. It's hard. To, it, again, I'm, I'm just going based on my own knowledge of the characters, not based on what you're telling me because I haven't read this.
0: No, I'm, I'm talking about Mark Russell's other stuff.
1: Oh, uh, well, then. Yeah, Flintstone. I have.
0: Like you said, Flintstone, Snagglepuss.
1: Okay, I've looked at Snagglepuss. I haven't read. I've. I know that that Flintstones comic has been sitting on my to do list for a while, but I've never gotten around to it.
0: Okay, <laughs> but yeah. So yeah. So he he does that. This is not one of his better books. Like it's it's not it's not horribly written. It's not. It's not like super preachy about it. They. It. It's just. They. It's just. Huckleberry Hound is kind of the thing that drags it down cuz I'm just wondering what the fuck he's doing there. Yeah. It seems a little random. Which is kind of the thing with a lot of these. Like like those like the initial the initial run was we got the license, so let's just fucking go nuts with it. But now that we are how however far removed from that initial fucking explosion of books. <laughs> and they're still doing it on a semi-regular basis.
1: I think we're like a year or two into it now.
0: Yeah, and it's still happening. Like just every couple months I'll just see this, I'll just see this fucking influx of books of just, hey, it's fucking we we got Lobo here crossed over with Tweety Bird. We got that weird we got that weird Merkin with shoes hanging out with the fucking super pets. Just weird, random shit that no one can really... That it feels like no one knows what they're doing with it.
1: It's- yeah, and kind of like I-, I mentioned with the anthology concept, it's so random most of the time that sometimes it sticks, more often than not it doesn't.
0: Yeah, definitely. Like, like There have been a couple of these books that I've read mm-hmm. and have... Really enjoyed. Um, the the one that the one kind of like sticks out in my mind of of like a like one that actually makes some amount of sense to me was the uh, was the Harley Quinn uh, red merkin with shoes because Harley Quinn like back when that like back when kind of like her book was really fucking pumping it was a, basically a cartoon and so having I think his name's I think they called him Gossamer.
1: Oh, that thing, yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so her and Gossamer made a bit more sense. And they were able to get like that. a fun, they were able to get like a very fun like Looney Tunes, like Diet Looney Tunes light kind of feel out of it. Which makes sense with the characters and stuff. And then, like I mentioned earlier, that Elmer Fudd Batman thing. Where it was... Out of fucking left field and was, of of the things that they have been released so far, I still feel the fucking best. But no one has ever tried to reach that level. No one has ever really even, no one has ever even reached that level. Well, but uh, the person who's come the closest was Mark Russell with Snagglepuss. And then, the, and then everything else is just kind of... Yeah, so this one just—it's just kind of. Yeah. That's too bad. Yeah, so hopefully they stop. Cause. Yeah. Christ, they need to.
1: Yeah, I'm just. I don't know what's left to do at this point. That wouldn't just be. Like, I—I like Adam. Adam Ant and the Adam. <laughs>
0: It's gonna be Hong Kong it's gonna be Hong Kong Fui and the fucking Justice League of China.
1: Or what like McGilla, Gorilla, and Grod.
0: These make too much sense to happen. It's gonna be Hong Kong Fui and the Martian Manhunter. There there it is. That's the next big one. anyway moving on
1: yeah all right so um, one that you're gonna have a uh, mild uh, allergic reaction to when I explain it uh, the why I read it but I think is much better than the thing I read because I read it because of uh, war bears okay so this is from the same team that brought you angel catbird
0: mm-hmm why just just who has Margaret Atwood been doing drugs with man
1: okay but uh spoiler alert this is good
0: (laughs) yeah it probably is but I'm still just did fucking Chris Claremont like give her a contact high when he was writing of whom God's destroy Maybe,
1: but like, okay. So the War Bears thing—it's—it's it's a story about comic book creation. The War Bears thing is a comic book in the story of this comic book. Okay. Like the War Bear is a kind of pro uh, Allied F War Forties War World War II War effort comic that is being written by a. Uh, East European Jewish immigrant in on in uh, Ontario, Canada in the mid forties.
0: Okay. Yeah, it sounds interesting. And,
1: yeah, and like the it it when they show you pages of the story of War Bears within the comic, it's in black and white with no inking's because they want to draw a distinction between the art style and the world of the characters that we are supposed to actually care about in the comic that we're just seeing panels of because it's important to the creator who is our main character. Yeah. And yeah, it's actually good. It's I mean, it's got uh your cast of overly um surly 40s characters, male and female alike um may it's hard to t- it's hard to feel too It feels I'm torn on how to feel about the main character's parents because they're very stereotypical of the kinds of characters you would get in this kind of story as the parents of a Jewish immigrant in the West. But at the same time, that was the story for a lot of people. Like, the dad's drinking himself to death because his other eldest son, the one he liked who he thought fit with his masculine values, just died at
0: Dachau. (laughs) Christ... Oh God! Yeah, world. Yeah, that shit. Fucking God.
1: But yeah, I was, and also, um, a big difference. Uh, the clearly, the artist from Angel Catbird has taken a few classes because this looks much more like a finished product. Well,
0: that's good, I guess.
1: In that it, it feels less like uh, Angel Catbird looked like unfinished tick and scratches approaching an art style. This looks like a a deliberate aesthetic choice.
0: Okay, yeah, this sounds just based on what you're describing it like a like if Airboy took itself seriously.
1: Yeah, I never read the Airboy comic that you and Nico talked about, but I know what you're talking about. So
0: yeah. Yeah, I okay then. I'm- yeah.
1: Yeah, it's just I mean, I wanted to talk about this at some point just because I knew when I told you why I read this, you would have that reaction. <laughs> but but at the same time, I didn't I wanted to make it clear, no, this is not the same kind of thing. This is not a story about a person who is a bird and a cat with angel wings. This is a this is a story about a a werebear, a female werebear was a character in a comic book being written by a comic book artist in Canada in the mid-40s. Much more compelling story.
0: Oh, hell yeah. That is... That is closer to an idea from Margaret Atwood than Angel Catbird ever was. Yeah. I didn't know this. Apparently, she wrote The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. That's what she's most known for. Yep. I... Did not know that until I looked up the solicitation for this book.
1: Yeah, the I think it, partially because the Handmaid's the Handmaid's Tale is kind of an old book. It was made, written in like the either the mid seventies or the early eighties, but it it's kind of stuck around as like a classic of Amer- of American literature. And the TV series got so much clout that people are kind of asking Margaret Atwood if there's anything else she'd like to write at this point. Sometimes that results in shit like Angel Catbird. Sometimes it's shit like this. I would prefer much more shit like this.
0: Yeah, I kind of always knew Margaret Atwood's name, just never what she actually was known for.
1: Okay. Just kind of through
0: Canadian osmosis.
1: Fair enough. I I just thought you would find it kind of... this this kind of thing more interesting to maybe talk about in the future if you ever read it than Angel Catbird.
0: Oh, infinitely more interesting. Angel Catbird, I've made this joke probably many a time before, but Angel Catbird is the kind of shit people write to masturbate to. At least based on everything I've seen about it. Without having actually read it. Because Angel Catbird looks like someone's fursona. War Bears sounds a lot more like an actually compelling story.
1: Yeah, I'm enjoying it. I kind of want you to read it to tell me what you think, since this is more about your history than mine. So.
0: All righty, I will I'll put it on the docket. Fair enough. All right then, so moving right along. Let's talk about Hexwives. So this is a new book uh, from Vertigo, the DC imprint that releases one book a year, uh, written by a guy named Ben Blacker. And yeah, this is cool. I, I really enjoyed this first issue.
1: What's it called again?
0: Hexwives.
1: Okay. Yeah. All right. I thought I, making sure I heard you correctly.
0: Yes. So the beginning of the book is just kind of jumping throughout history, following the same two characters. So, in this world, witches are a thing. They are just straight up, the, they are the, like, Salem Witch Trials were 100% cool because, yeah, witches are an actual thing and they are kind of fucking beastie.
1: Yeah, the the, the witch trial thing it takes on a negative, uh, much less negative context if there are actual witches with actual black powers. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, and one of those powers is reincarnation. So whenever one of these witches dies, they then they then you know come back as a new person a couple years later, and then if certain circumstances are met, which more often than not they are, they remember who they are and get all their powers back. And so the main two of them are Isadora and then her lover Nadia. That is who we follow for the majority of this thing. But all of the, but all the like monologue happening over top of it, is not done by either of them. It is done by somebody else recounting their recounting the actual events of their history. Like starting out in the witch trials, then going back, to, they go to the Old West, and they just kind of jumping forward and forward in time. Every time a, bu- a group of people tried to track them down and kill these women, and more often than not, they would succeed in killing one of them, but then. Some time passes, and then the, su- and the other one just comes back. And so it happens over and over again, up until um, 2005 in New Orleans. Because apparently they caused Katrina. And then we cut to our like the person who we actually have been listening to this entire time, who is a member of, who is like the latest descendant of this fucking... Group of dudes who have been going throughout history hunting down these women when they reincarnate and killing them. And his whole his whole speech ends up as. We fucking suck at this. We need to change plans. We've been doing this for centuries and nothing has actually worked. So maybe let's try something new. Cut to three years later and. And. Isadora has reincarnated as a new person, no idea who she is, and is living in a 1950s American suburb, along with everyone else from her coven. So somehow, the group that has been tracking down these women and killing them has found a way to alter their perception of time or reality or whatever, put them in this fucking cul-de-sac, and have converted them into 1950s stereotypical housewives. Uh, okay. And and so so like none of them ever leave because apparently just <laughs> outside of the cul-de-sac everything is on fire. There's a bit where there's a bit where they go out to have a smoke. Like in the backyard, and they look out over the on the horizon, and it just fires as far as the eye can see.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I would want to leave.
0: Yeah, and it's not hundred percent perfect because some of them do. Because some of them like do begin. Like some of them are like seeing stuff or have some access to some of their powers. Like one lady, when she goes to light, like flick the lighter to light her smoke, it causes this like torrent of fire to fly out of it. But. They'll just kind of laugh it off. It's like, oh, darn thing must be broken. I'll go inside to get a new one. And then like they, or or they'll just be like walking around and then all of a sudden they'll get real dizzy and like the world will warp in a weird way. They'll they'll just like write it off as, oh, I'm just just tired or oh, I'm just fucking sauced. And yeah, that seems seems to be the thing going forward of just these women learning who they are and then trying either getting revenge or trying to get out and yeah i find this interesting i like the i like this uh i like the whole like kind of gaslighting aspect of it of just having of just taking these women and altering the very concept of what their reality is i find that interesting as a story concept and i also like this because there is not really a bad guy like a, like a clear cut bad guy good guy kind of thing because, you, cause like, looking at what we have seen so far, the the men, the, the organization that's been tracking them down, it has been fucking trying to kill these people forever. It has been sending, like, wave after wave of men to kill them. And then the thing that actually succeeds uh, seeds in is straight up brainwashing, which just is a personal thing. But I find that to be one of the few genuinely evil things a person can do to another person. Yeah, mm-hmm. And yeah, then you have these women who, yes, have been, our witches and have all these powers and stuff. But we don't actually know what caused any of this. Like, did like, did they have these powers and were just kind of, like, hanging out doing their own thing? Or did they have these powers and were terrorizing the people and that's why the fucking thing started? They haven't really given away the ghost on that yet. So there's no one who is super in the right, no one who's super in the wrong.
1: Yeah, hmm
0: And so I... Like that, I like this idea of like not of going forward, not knowing who the actual protag- who the actual good guys in this are. It's more just, it's more just we, we are following the protagonists of these women. Yeah, I'm interested to in see where this goes. Um, it is it's pretty it's pretty well written. Um, Ben Blacker, he is like with the first with the first issue, it is largely following this one is lar- it's largely written from the point of view of this one guy. And while the back half is more dealing with these women, it is is not super hard to write 1950s women, like st- like stereotypical pop culture women, because it's just it's just oh, I got I got to do all this stuff before my husband comes home. Well, oh, I better go out and have a smoke, but I don't want anybody to you know where they'll start gossiping. It's not super hard to write people in the 50s. People in the 50s were boring as hell. Yeah. And also, just
1: which is weird because it was a period of intense danger, and every one thing was tense and on edge. But oh no, yeah, the world it, was boring. Uh, the world, according to pop culture, was boring in the fifties.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. In the fifties, everything was everything was like reaching the boiling point, about to tip over and just wreck everything. But you watch TV, and it is like fucking Opie going down to the fishing hole. Or Beaver, I don't know, fucking assaulting people? What, what the fuck did Leave it to Beaver do?
1: Oh, I mean, what you're describing is Dennis the Minutes, but Leave it to Beaver was another one of those, oh, isn't it sweet how this guy, this kid listens to no one and does whatever the fuck he wants, but it's okay because he's right, according to the story?
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll just Leave it to Beaver's. Has that been a stupid parody someone's done yet? Leave it to beavers?
1: Uh, I don't think so. I don't know.
0: Just same aesthetic, same 1950s, everything. It's just the kid is five beavers. Yeah, that's too stupid, actually, right? I don't know. I'm weirdly tired. This is a weird low-energy thing. But no, yeah, if you get a chance to check out Hex Wives, I would recommend it, at least based on the first issue. Um like I like I I've I've gone on record, I like the 50s aesthetic. 50s were terrible. I like the way it looked. And like I said, this, this kind of checks all the right boxes for me in terms of stuff I kind of like, stuff I like in stories. <coughs> so I am interested in seeing where this goes. And that also gave me the idea for a Call of Cthulhu one shot. Okay. So, fucking checks on checks. Next one, check it out,
1: Birdie. All right. So my next one, uh, Minajah Zombies. Uh, it's a it's a of course a zombie spinoff to a comic I've been reading, Minajah Trois. Uh, but the, it mostly, given the tone and what happens in it, what it mostly reminds me of is what you've described as uh the Archie horror comics. Okay. Cause basically, uh, so I, I guess minor, uh, plot set up from the main, from the main series. So you know what's going on. So the titular menage a trois is, uh, this, uh, professional, uh, video game, uh, concept designer, Gary, uh, lives with a punk rock chick Named Z and, for all intensive purposes, a Quebecois Wonder Woman in Toronto because they're in Canada. Yeah, right. <laughs> and it the, the series has been is a series of sexual and other such misadventures amongst these characters and side characters around them, but um. This is a what, and Z being in the band is doing a uh, performance when suddenly zombies start appearing and eating people.
0: Naturally, and
1: yeah, uh, and this I don't know why I picked. I should have put this in context because there's not much to talk about with this one because it's essentially it's a comedy zombie story with a sad ending because while the zombies do spread like normal zombies, they're not a biological plague. They're the product of a demon cult. <laughs> Who oh. essentially just just needed an army of zombies to, so that they could capture someone to act as the zombie queen and their god. Yeah. Okay. In, which in this case is Dee uh, Dee, the uh, st- the uh, stacked Québécois Wonder Wonder Woman character, <laughs> and Gary manages to figure out. Uh, that if he destroys the amulet that they put on her to get her possessed, then it would stop the zombies. But it seems to be that it would kill DD2, at which point Z is like, wait, 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 no, I I need to fuck that. You can't kill it yet. (laughs) And so they get into this argument back and forth about, no, I, I don't care how good it is. It's not worth the entire universe, at which point uh is trying to find some, like, workaround, at which point Gary just gets eaten, and the next scene we see is Dee's possessed again, and Z is a zombie, and the zombies have won.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they gotta follow that rule, never show how it progresses, it just happens. <laughs> oh, God.
1: It... it- and this is, like, again, I have not read any of the Archie horror comics, but this sounds a lot like what you and Nico have said they're like. So, I I mean, I don't know. I could be wrong.
0: This sounds it, a lot more like a joke.
1: Well, it is a joke,
0: but... Yeah, Archie horror takes itself seriously.
1: Okay, fair enough.
0: Yeah, like, like, like the setup of fucking Afterlife <laughs> with Archie is... Jughead goes to Sabrina the teenage witch to have his dog brought, hot dog brought back to life. But then the dog bites him and turns him into a zombie and thus the rest of the fucking town becomes it. Okay. But that is all done with like straight seriousness. That it feels like an actual horror movie the way they're talking, the way they're fucking happening. It's just it's happening to Archie.
1: Okay, fair enough.
0: Yeah, it's very easy to it's very easy when like l- just listening to people talk about it to m- to like imagine it as a joke, but art style, the tone of the writing, the tone of the coloring, hell, all makes it feel incredibly serious. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So one okay, of the, yeah, one of the things the- that did kind of bug me about like the mm-hmm. Chilling Adventures of Sabrina show that they did, like that was a lot more. It was a lot more like there's a lot more comedy and like joke aspects to it. Despite the fact that it actually did have like straight up real horror imagery. It was also just like, hey yeah, we're gonna do fucking jokes and stuff while you're standing in front of this fucking suicide tree.
1: Yeah, uh I mean I haven't I didn't watch it yet, but the tone of the marketing suggested a uh, mostly lighthearted series, but I could be wrong.
0: <laughs> no, yeah, it, it was mostly lighthearted. Um with the occasional ventures off into real horror and real heavy-handed politics about what the show is about.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I got that also from the marketing. And, of course, be- whenever you get that heavy into a political message about stuff like that, you're going to inevitably inspire think pieces that provide counter-arguments to why you're not doing it well. Yup. Yup. The one I remember most being, uh, God damn it, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, uh, black women are not just a stepping stone for the improvement of white female characters. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, the thing that I saw and came in after it was they released a video of four people, one of whom was an actor in the show, the other four of whom were just four people all of whom were non-binary sitting around a table in the fucking high school like cafeteria set talking about how people don't understand what being non-binary is.
1: Yeah, that could get really annoying.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and like, yeah, that was like supplementary material, but it was still released as kind of marketing for the show. Which is weird, because the show doesn't actually talk about being non-binary, it talks about being trans, which is... I believe a separate issue. But we are not the people to talk about that.
1: Yeah, let's not get into heady political uh, topics. Let's switch to making, let's stick to making terrible jokes. Like when I suggested that Nightwing has a thing for chicks and chairs.
0: (laughs) Oh, God. Felling Titans available now.
1: And there will be more.
0: Episodes but 3 God, and 4 will before. be out around the time this comes out. And then we'll, be doing, <laughs> then we'll be doing another fucking little batch of them, batch recordings in the next week or so.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, I mean... Be I, interested
0: it, in Doom Patrol. Be more interested in the Doom Patrol show.
1: Yeah. The, the the best thing that's happened as a result of Titans is that it made me excited for Doom Patrol. But... uh Yeah, I mean, I wanted to talk about this being partially because I've always liked the sense of humor for the Ménage à Trois series. And I just wasn't sure how to feel about the dark joke of, oops, one of the three main characters fucked over the entire universe and her best friend to fuck a hot chick.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Whoops-a-doodles.
1: And that kind of humor, it can work, but I don't always know how to feel about it. Uh Uh-huh. Like, does that make sense? No, yeah, I get it. So, yeah. Uh, but, I mean, I still like Gisela Goss's art. It, even with the zombie shit, it's still fun to look at. And it's, like... It, it's deliberately cartoony, but it, it fits the tone of the storytelling. So I don't really mind any of that. It's... I just... Um, I don't know. I... It's, it's difficult to square the tone of the ending with the kind of jokey thing it was going for.
0: Okay.
1: But yeah, I, I still recommend the main series, and if you like a good dark joke, maybe look at this. But like, read the main series first to see if you like these characters enough to get a dark joke with these characters.
0: Okay, then. So... Let's talk about Wonder Woman. So, Wonder Woman has been rough for the last little while. Uh, The writer who's been on the book for the last (coughs) few months Months. has not been doing a great job of telling really compelling or interesting stories to the point where I actually dropped the book until the new writer came on.
1: Yeah. Which, you know, you might have
0: heard of her. Yeah. So, G. Willow Wilson. You know, Marvel's Golden Girl, I guess. Not anymore? I don't know. All I really know is from Marvel stuff.
1: Uh, Well, yeah, because the series that put her on everyone's map is that she created what is undisputably the best Muslim character in comic books, period. Yeah. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. arguably one of the best characters just in general Marvel has created in the last decade.
0: Yep. And that's that weird mummy from Holy Terror. Joke landed amazingly well. it's Miss Marvel. Kamala Khan. Yeah. But yeah, she is now over I, I, at DC, right in Wonder Woman, and <coughs> yeah, it's okay.
1: Okay, cool. Yeah, uh, so. I mean, I'm still, I, I I feel a little let down. I felt a little baited, switch, baited and switched when uh, I saw that. They hired the Dodsons only to do the covers and not the interiors.
0: That pissed me well. off, man. <laughs> All the marketing was the Dodson Wonder Woman. And I was like, fuck, yes, finally, an actual book with the Dodsons in it. But then it's, nope, it's and, some other asshole.
1: Yeah, and Dodson had done Wonder Woman before when, um, what's her name? The other, uh, DC's former Golden Girl, uh, Gail Simone was writing her. Back in the mid 2000s, uh, Dodson did a lot of the art for that, and it was really good. Yeah, but
0: <sighs> now we got some other butthole.
1: Yeah, maybe the Dodsons are too busy not releasing Red One Four.
0: <laughs> God. Yeah, fuck. I can't. When did the last issue of that book come out? 2016. Good God. How. Okay, fuck it, whatever. Anyway, uh, so the interior is instead being done by Carrie Nord, who is he's fine. She uh, he he she. I I'm not sure who they are. They're fine. Like uh like they do. It seems they do better on backgrounds than characters. Um. While the occasional thing in this does have just like the just like the you know, monochromatic gradient or whatever for the background. Uh, a lot of it they do may, the person does like, Nord manages to actually put in a lot of detail in the background, and it reminds me. There are certain panels in here that remind me of uh, you might you might know this. Um, the who was the person who did the uncanny X Men art when Bendis was writing it?
1: Um. I don't know that off the top of my head. Um I I can look. Yeah, the but art, describe it.
0: Yeah, the artwork was a bit more uh like like character stuff was a bit more like the characters were a bit blockier and a bit like Oh, know. Stuart Eminem? Uh I eh, 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 maybe I think I'm just getting some of this artwork up so I can like a uh, proper comparison of it. No, not Stuart Eminem.
1: Okay, then that must be thinking about a different Bendis X-Men book.
0: Because uh, yeah, when uh, yeah, it's I think I think it's I think it's Bendis. It's the one with uh Cyclops where he had the weird like X as part of the mask that shot out laser.
1: Oh, the X the X mask. Yeah. Okay, I know what you're talking about. I'm not sure I know who the artist was who did that.
0: But yeah, so with this, a lot of the background stuff does feel similar to his. With like a lot with like a lot of uh like square elements in the background and like kind of and like particle effects. Well as many particle effects as you can get in still images. But yeah, a lot of it felt like that. Uh then you, get into the, then you get into the face stuff and it gets awkward, some portion stuff gets weird. Um The faces are kind of where it falls apart the most. Um Especially with Wonder Woman. A lot of her faces, uh like it'll be it'll be like just elements missing in some of the stuff, or just looking real fucking awkward in a lot of the panels, but Story-wise, it is. I'm not sure actually had like what I think of the story. So, so Steve Trevor, he went off to go do fucking military stuff. <coughs> and Dana has a bad feeling about it. Uh, so then she gets a call one day from uh, Candy.
1: Yeah, Etta uh, Candy.
0: Yes, Etta Candy. Uh, she is out in some country where the U.S. currently has a war. Throw a dart, you're likely to hit one. Yeah. And, and, yeah, it's like, hey, we, hey, Steve is MIA. So she immediately drops her phone and flies off to there and stops two soldiers from shooting a child. Good times. Yep. From the looks of it, they might have been American soldiers? I don't know.
1: Hey. Probably argue they're PMCs and not official soldiers. That's always the 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 workaround they do for that kind of thing. I but believe whatever. they were Etta's people. Okay, then I don't know.
0: Yeah, I'm not 100% either. But anyway, yeah, so she, so she goes, deals with them, flies off. This whole fucking area is getting torn to shit. People are just fucking firing guns. Everything's fucking freaking out. And turns out Ares is there. But not there to fucking cause... Zububs or whatever, he's there to say, hey, Diana, let's team up and be a superhero duo. Uh, Okay. And this happens after the initial introduction of Hippolyta and Philippus on Themyscira going down to their fucking weird subterranean prison where Ares and Grail are being kept in the same fucking room. Along with thousands of swords.
1: Yeah, that that feels like a... Remember when we riffed um, the 2009 animated Wonder Woman movie and we were like, some of this hasn't aged well?
0: Yeah, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and so while, while they're down there, Grail is fucking talking to Ares, and Ares is like, hey, we need fucking justice shit. And together we can be justice. <laughs> and so Grail... Slashes him across the chest.
1: DC has ruined the term justice for all time.
0: 100%. (laughs) If I ever hear a character mention justice, I always immediately follow it up with, together we can be justice. Knock, knock. Who's there? Justice. Justice. (laughs) (sighs) Ah, gay for justice, you fucking train wreck. Oh yeah, so Grail, yeah, so he's so he's there, so he's there, like, yes, we need to be more proactive in fighting crimes. And so Grail's like, yeah, get away from me. Picks up a sword, slashes him across the chest. Apparently, it was deep enough to instantly kill him, or uh, something. Uh, uh, okay, <laughs> because then the island starts fucking tearing itself apart, and Hippolytus starts freaking the dick out.
1: Well, I, I guess if the island started tearing itself apart, that would happen.
0: Yeah, and. I believe, based on the art, the implication is that Aries is now Steve. Uh,
1: uh,
0: okay. Because so so, like I said, art kind of falls apart, especially in faces. If you were to put the face of Steve Trevor and Aries next to each other from the same artist, I don't think I could tell them apart. The biggest yeah, that... yeah, the biggest distinguishing factor is the fact that Aries has dark hair. Steve is a blonde. Yeah. Then, the then she goes to meet Ari Then she goes and I gets into fucking contact again, like into fucking conflict with Ares. They start, they fight for a bit, and Ares has the big fucking helmet on with the red eyes. But then he takes that off, and it's a fucking blonde dude. I was just like, wait, Steve. And Anna's like, oh, it can't be. He's like, no, it is. I, Ares, I am join you in your fight for justice. Woo! I even guy a war. War can be justice. Remember when Ares is like an old Greek guy with bloody feet.
1: Yeah, or the look from—I feel like uh, this look has become so iconic that even like the new Fifty Two and Injustice have borrowed the look. When 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 Ares was just a faceless guy in horned Greek battle armor, like just he was basically like, fancy not, Satan. Yeah, you weren't supposed to actually see him.
0: Yeah. And to represent fucking something, the facelessness of war and how it just fucking whatever it could be anybody. Yeah, there's something there. Where there's something there for smarter people than me to dissect.
1: Yep. But. Wh- yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It. it, it I hope. I mean, G Willow Wilson. I was hope. I'm hopeful. Yeah,
0: I'm gonna keep to reading read- this.
1: Because it's G. Will Wilson working on my favorite DC superheroine, yeah, and I, I'm gonna be on board for that, even if I'm not always on board for everything Wonder Woman related. Like, like I was talking to a dead man before the show. I, I don't think Injustice knew what that Wonder Woman was supposed to be a character in and of herself.
0: Yeah, <laughs> but anywho, um. Yes, the other thing with this is uh, that kid that Wonder Woman saved from being fucking shot. Uh huh. Um. Yeah, the soldiers uh, mentioned that. The uh, like soldiers he's fighting uh, mentions that. Um, she <coughs> mentions that uh, they like, like when one is going to fight them. Uh, they, he met he one of the soldiers that she fucking captures before he gets knocked the fuck out or run away. Um, he calls her one of them who came through the. And then Wonder Woman cuts him off, then Edda shows up. Turns out that kid uh, is not a uh, kid. He's something.
1: One of the. A, a being from Greek mythology of some sort.
0: Yes, because because after everyone leaves, he's kind of hanging next to a wall, and then it's like, hey, come on out. And then comes out a man with uh, goat legs and horns, a man with a bull, man with a fucking cow head, and Pegasus.
1: So a Pegasus, a satyr, and a, a, a Minotaur.
0: I was gonna say that, but I don't. I I don't know. It they look fucked. Okay. Which may be the thing. I don't know. It's fucking whatever. It's hard to tell. <laughs> yeah, this artist is not the best. Fucking why? The fuck? Couldn't we have had the Dodsons? Fuck even for the yeah. even for the regular six issues. just every good every fucking spectacular artist works in a book for six issues and then leaves for two years
1: yeah and then some of the stuff they work on on their own is either not well uh, planned or released or they work with people that can't utilize their talents well
0: yeah I want more orc soup dadgummit Apparently he's been working on that for fucking centuries. But yeah, um,
1: what is Jeff? What has James Stocco done in the last year?
0: Uh, Alien Dead Orbit.
1: Okay, I didn't know when
0: that came out. I think that was like I think it was like last year. Uh, just double checking that. Nope, twenty seventeen. Well, fuck. He has none dick then. God damn it. Stoko, you fucker. Be better at making things, you fucking genius asshole.
1: I'm in your country, Stoko. I know how to deal with I can find you.
0: Yeah, I'll come down there and fucking show I'll come down there and show you how we do things in fucking Ontario there, don't you know? Take it down to the Air Canada Center. Show you how I use a fucking two four, ya hoser. But that's enough threatening our favorite creators, Birdie.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're probably not gonna like this. Uh, Orc stain is listed under unfinished product projects from James Stoko on his webpage.
0: Fucking god, damn it. <laughs> Where did God still go? <clears throat> I'm going to fucking come down there and show you how we say hello and show in and, and fucking Oshawa there. Give you a show handshake.
1: <laughs> yeah, but in a, uh, a similar um, situation to what you described with uh, the Wonder Woman book, um, Jungle Girl. okay okay so i'll try not to sound like a perv when i say this but when i want sexy art in my western comic books there's two or three big artists i usually go to uh um I can't remember his name now. The guy who does uh, uh, J. Scott Campbell. Yep. And and but the, I can't remember the third one. But the big one that in, for this context is Frank Cho. Oh hell yeah! Frank Cho. <clears throat> and the thing I really liked that he did was when he did the four issue, the five issue miniseries for Marvel, uh, Shauna the She Devil," which. I get the impression that Frank Cho wanted to do more with that character and Marvel didn't really see much point.
0: Yeah, he he, he did manage to to work a bit of her in. She did show up in that Savage Wolverine book. Yeah. But then she fucking (laughs) disappeared again.
1: Yeah, much like a lot of stuff in the Savage Land storylines, it doesn't stick around, really.
0: Yeah, the Savage Lands are mainly there to go, Hey, look, there are dinosaurs. Ain't that cool? Anyway.
1: Yeah. But, um, the reason I brought this up is, uh, so I guess Frank Cho really wanted to do more with a Shauna type character. So he created this character called Jungle Girl through an independent company to make more comics. Unfortunately, he did it with Dynamite Mm. and also Bait and Switch. Uh, Frank Cho himself only drew the covers for the series. He had someone else. Imitate his art style for the interiors.
0: Yeah. I'm looking at a, looking at a thing and it is we've talked about, I've talked about uncanny Valley artwork before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We're like, it is, it is close enough to be recognizable as to what they're going for, but there's just something off Mm. about it.
1: Yeah. For one thing, this, this, the artist does the interiors. Adriano Batista has no idea how to draw human expressions.
0: Or human faces, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just
1: both of those are
0: yeah, yeah. Anybody who's anybody who's like looking at an angle, the face is just it's like you tried it's like you tried to draw their face on like and like just a straight on shot, and then just and then just kind of like slide it across the face.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I I'll give it credit for lots of dinosaurs and lots of prehistoric creature fights but uh, the the guy who wrote this Doug Murray I kind of want to punch him in the face
0: <laughs> okay
1: because what he most re- uh, I've looked up and I've looked up some of the other stuff he's done with different uh people and one thing that comes up immediately that immediately it makes me go oh no is Athena okay which he did for Dynamite, which Linkara covered.
0: Yeah, yeah, Dynamite. And, they, they have, they have a problem.
1: Yeah, like up Dy- like Dy- The thing about Dynamite is the only books from Dynamite I like are through what, uh, what is it called, the Gold Key Alliance, which is like some sort of interior. Uh, I don't know what you call it, a good. What what was the term uh, imprint? Yeah, it's an imprint within Dynamite that's separate from the main books, from the main Dynamite books, and and anything that's a main Dynamite book plays up uh, cheesecake and annoying characters and gore, but usually not with the kind of art that could make this fun. Like if this whole thing was drawn by Frank Cho and it was just. A jungle girl, uh, trying and failing to keep a bunch of dumbasses alive in a prehistoric world, that would be one thing. Yeah, but um, aside from the main female character, Jungle Girl, all the all the female all the characters in this remind me of that they were written by Eli Roth. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh
1: wow! Saying things like. Hey 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 uh Kira I think is the jungle girl's name. Is like, "Hey Kira, I think this stupid one wants to mate with me or shit like that." And uh that when you have abs- almost no likable characters, it can make the process of reading this a chore. Yeah. Which is a shame because like most um, stories about ancient worlds that uh more prim- prim- primitive peoples survive in it has a lot of fun story ideas in it like the last story i read basically featured a world war 1 sea captain uh helping a modern film crew and the jungle girl fight cthulhu
0: <laughs> i think that's also partially the story for fucking uh savage wolverine
1: That's possible. Yeah,
0: I, th- I think it was also like Wolverine and then Shauna had to fight Cthulhu. Which, uh, I mean, yeah, okay. It's a thing that could happen. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to fucking fight any kind of thing, you might as well fight the fucking face of the franchise, Cthulhu. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's not like there's, no, it, and like, for example, I just played um, Mansions of Madness last night with Caveman and a bunch of buddies, and we had a lot of fun uh, dying at the hands of Deep Ones. Yeah. In, a, in a, So, it, it, Cthulhu, Lovecraft stuff is fun to pull from. It's just, uh, it can be overdone sometimes. A little
0: bit, just a tiny bit, <laughs> especially Cthulhu. <laughs> like, I am currently writing a Call of Cthulhu game. I am not using any of the pre-existing elder creatures. Yeah. I'm building my own pantheon because we need something fucking else than just fucking Cthulhu and fucking Yig.
1: Yeah, or Yog sothoth or uh, Glerig or something.
0: Shub-Niggurath.
1: Yeah. But... So... It feels kind of like a backhanded compliment to say I give this points for creativity in what the kinds of stuff that they chose to present. It's just that because it's Dynamite, it was kind of ineptly done. Yeah. And And Frank Cho is not only the cover artist, apparently this was a lot of his story ideas. So I think all the good stuff for this comes from what Frank Cho presented to Dynamite as, hey, I'd like to make this. At which point Diamond said, sure, and handed it off to a couple of schmoes to do.
0: Wouldn't it be hilarious if this was like a Leonard the Duck situation, but like done worse? Yeah. If mm-hmm. anyone who doesn't know, Howard the Duck's original creator originally tried to fucking like in-universe steal the character ba- steal the character away from Marvel. By handing over to Image and making a new, and like in a crossover book, making a new character called Leonard who was just, who was just Howard in everything but name. hmm And so I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just picturing like Frank Cho coming in with his fucking sketchbook and having all these ideas. Handing it handing to it, like, some publisher, like, like fucking Dynamite and saying like, hey, I want to do this. It's called Sheena the Her-Devil. And they're,
1: yeah, that's about that's about the level of what we're working with here.
0: <laughs> yeah, and they look at it all. It's like, hey, Frank, you know what? This is pretty good. Gives him, gives him like a fucking signing bonus, and then he's like, fucking sick. And then he goes home to work on his storyboards, and then like three months later, he hasn't heard anything back. And then goes out to the fucking comic store and sees Jungle Girl on the shelf with his fucking art on it. Opens it up and just starts vomiting. This publisher just took the basic idea that Frank show gave him. And then they're like, "Yeah, we don't want to actually pay him what he's worth." So just like, we'll just get some fucking jobbers doing it. <coughs> and other funny yeah. thing, as we've been talking, I actually kind of fell down a bit of an Amazon rabbit hole and ended up on the on the page on the page for the uh, for like a collected volume of Shaun of the She Devil. And, appa- uh-huh. and apparently, it was written by Justin Gray and illustrated by Justin Palmiotti. Yeah, you know that famous artist.
1: Yeah, yeah. Married to wait, Justin wait, wait. Gray. Sorry, Justin yeah. Connor.
0: <laughs> They're really good friends with the with the with the married couple, Justin and Justin Dodson. Ah. Yeah. Uh. Anyway, I just wanted to mention that. That's yeah. kind stupid.
1: I mean, it's fine. I, like, I, The problem with things like this is that while they're intellectually interesting to talk about their flaws and concept, there's not a whole lot to mine from it. Because there's only so much you can say about this was written by a hack and drawn by a hack who was trying to imitate one of my favorite artists ever.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's unfortunate. Because like, I really liked Shauna when I read it.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's one of my favorite like little, little, uh, quick and easy mini I like to read and reread.
0: Yeah, and and Frank Cho is a is an incredible artist.
1: Yeah, e- even on stuff that really didn't need him, like uh, when Bendis did Mighty Avengers right after Civil War, the only thing that made that book even remotely palatable was that. Frank Cho was drawing it,
0: <laughs> and hell, even when Frank Cho was doing his like questionable joke covers, yeah, mm-hmm. like they are still leaps and bounds above like published works. Even if they have the even if they have the sense of humor of like a fucking like twelve year old on Reddit, they still look fucking in. God damn it Frank Cho you talented fuck draw more books you piece of shit God damn it I shouldn't I shouldn't be getting this fucking angry at people whose work I love oh god anyway my final book Let's talk about Shatterstar.
1: All right. What is that?
0: So, Shatterstar is a new book from Marvel focusing on Shatterstar. I know you, I know you probably couldn't tell from the title, but, you know. Mhm. It's written by Tim Seeley. Um it starts out It starts out like I would like like it, So you remember that Matt Fraction Hawkeye book where Hawkeye ran an apartment complex? Yeah, uh-huh. That's literally this. But worse. So much worse. So Shatterstar, uh, for those that don't know, he is... He is—he's a—he's a he's a, he's a Marvel character who's been around for a while. Uh, he saw him very briefly in that Deadpool two movie, and he was like—he was like a competitor in like fucking like in like Mojo World in like in like a fight pits. He was like—I'm not super familiar with the character, but he was like bred to be perfect. Doesn't that thing? Do you know more about him than I do? I hope you do. Anyway,
1: uh, so- Say some more stuff and I see if it can jog my memory. It's not coming to me.
0: Uh, he he's a Rob Liefeld creation. He has this uh big fucking headpiece that kind of goes, that kind of like lets his hair flow out in this massive ponytail. He has two big fucking swords. Wears all white. Has like a weird star tattoo around one of his eyes.
1: Oh, Wears a lot of white. Uh... Yeah, I I don't have, I don't, I know who you're talking about, but nothing's coming to me. Sorry.
0: Okay. <laughs> okay, I was right. Just looked it up. Yeah, so from Mojo World, he's fucking bred to be dope. And yeah, in this, and so instead of so instead of doing that, he, is, he has escaped that, is now on Earth, and runs a halfway house for people from other planets and dimensions. including that fucking pug from Men in Black. Basically. Okay. Uh, They have, like, there's some people in there, two dudes who are, like, two dudes who are, like, fucking former arch rivals or whatever from some fucking world, and now they are roommates who are trying to fucking sell a screenplay to HBO. Got this one lady who's just called The End Woman. I don't know. And then the best joke of all—they got somebody from—they got somebody from our world. this. he's from a world where there aren't any superheroes. Ooh. Let me just read her fucking description. Just so you can get an idea of what I'm fucking talking about. Tina was from Earth twelve eighteen a world that followed strict rules of physics and logic. It lacked superheroes, alien invasions, and interventionist gods. She'd accidentally passed She'd accidentally passed through a rift and had decided to leave behind a successful life as a regional bank manager to stay in this place where seemingly anything was possible. She loved to hear his tales of superhero and adventure pined for any detail of his life. It made him uncomfortable. So yeah, it's just this fucking... Person, this fucking lady who's just hey yeah fucking Earth and shit that's just boring. I'm gonna hang out here with the fucking hot people who have superpowers. And then one night when fucking Shatterstar is out watching a, watching a fucking enactment of Titus, of Titus Andronicus, they all get kidnapped by weird fucking gimp demons from other planets. Oh, God, this is so boring. Just. Yeah. Jesus Christ. How is it that the fucking. How is it that the fucking superhero story about interdimensional travel and an apartment complex more boring than the one about Russians and an apartment complex? Like, fucking God. And they also do that. They also do the thing that I. Kind of don't really like where they have like two separate artists do like flashbacks in the present time stuff. And okay, and it, it's always jarring to me, like, like, it can kind of work, like, like when like in a like in the alias, when they when like had the flashback stuff, the Mark Bailey Jr. or work, but it was all like done through. But but when it was all like the like really distorted stuff that was like burnt out and washed out with the colors and stuff and it, and so it actually looked like they didn't do it very often but there was like one bit where she was having like a breakdown or something and it was like a, it was like an image of Jewel that was slowly burning away at the edges that looked neat and that worked but then but then just the regular stuff of going with the Michael Gatos and then hard cut to Mark Bailey Jr. didn't really work for me anyway. And then with this uh, the traditional the main artwork is done by a guy named uh, Carlos Vila. Uh, and it is it's fine. Like like he he manages to get like a he manages to get a like these level of detail and background the uh, the characters are expressive. They don't really go off model a lot and if he was working on a more interesting book, I would be way more into his artwork. But just because it's this book, any real any any energy that is there is sucked out by just this fucking black hole of charisma. That's the writing, and then you get to the back. Then you get to the back, uh, like the flashback stuff, which is done by Gerardo Sandoval, <laughs> who is who is the '90s made in He was the '90s fucking made manifest. Just seeing a lot of his shit, it is. I am not a big fan of Gerardo Sandoval and this does not help. It is just, it is like taking Gerardo Sandoval's art and giving him nineties character designs. That is not a good thing. Gerardo Sandoval pulls out the worst of both worlds. Just, just his tendency to like over detail with lines and overshade Mixed with the ludicrous designs of this '90s shit, it does not hold up. Even though this book came out like four months ago,
1: uh.
0: and yeah, that's that's well, that's really it. Just fucking, it's it's a boring fucking book it is a boring book that wastes the main artist it has and does not try to do anything that is like interesting or anything really it's it is it is it is somehow the most interesting boring book ever oh sorry no it's the most boring interesting book that's what so, i was going for
1: so your basic question is how can something with such an interesting concept and interesting designs be so boring
0: basically (laughs) like none of the people who we see in this fucking thing feel like characters they feel like they feel like neighbors in a sitcom like every single one of them is written by a by a team of like fucking 12 people who are on coke And none, and and are just are just kind of like trying to bang out of like, hey, what's a joke we can do to have our one sensible character look at and go, oh, that's weird, and then move on to fucking uproarious laughter. And it's basically this: it's like, it's like we got one guy who's like a to Barbarian type, but he's but he's living with the fucking bad guy from goddamn He Man, and they're trying to write a screenplay. Yeah. We got a world of superheroes. What well, if we got somebody who's from a world
1: where they didn't
0: have superheroes?
1: I, I love how your sit, your sitcom voice is just, what What if uh, Tim Allen did trailers? Basically. <laughs> Does this sound like a good idea? Uh?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Full disclosure. I was going for more of a Jax film clickbait talk kind of thing, but then I added in the Tim Allen thing at the end that kind of like brought it all back around to being all Tim Allen. Yeah, fuck. I, oh God, this is, this is a weird fucking show for me. I I need to get back into this. God damn it. Maybe we, maybe I should stop doing the fucking two week break and to do a one week break at the end of the year because... I feel like I lost fucking six years of experience. Anyway. Yeah, that's Shatterstar. Don't bother. That went run along. Uh, one thing of news that feels worth mentioning that I was able to see. Uh, so, Michael Avon Oming. He's an artist. You've seen him. Oh.
1: With a bunch of stuff. Collaborates with Bendis, mostly.
0: Yeah, a lot, a lot of collaboration with Bendis. Well, not collaborating this time, as he has, apparently after almost 10 years of trying, finally gotten a Dick Tracy book. So, so IDW is going to be publishing this four-issue miniseries called Dick Tracy Forever, which will be written and drawn by Oming. And yeah, it's according to uh, according to an, according to Denton Tipton, group editor IDW. Michael Avon omings award-winning work in crime comics makes him the perfect creator to tackle one of the greatest crime crimebusters of all time. I promise you'll see you'll never see Dick Tracy the same after reading this book, and I mean that in a good way. Weisenheimer, fucking P, fucking PR people. <laughs> yeah, no real details have been released about what this will be. Uh, but according to the publisher... Uh, uh, it, wait, who's publishing it? IDW. Okay. Yes, yeah, so according to the publisher, um, we'll, uh, it'll be fucking Dick Tracy, quote, pushing the law boulder up the hill as he struggles for reason and order in a world with none. Yeah. Yeah.
1: This kind of fills me with dread. Okay. Because what this sounds like to me, and I, I, I don't know if you remember this, but I covered a book a few years ago that was written by Michael Avon Oming uh, for Icon, the the stuff that did most of Bendis' indie work. Yeah. And what I basically thought about that series was, this is like a Bendis series, but it doesn't know how to finesse the landing. Okay. So it goes into, whereas Bendis could maybe find a way to talk about a damaged superhero in a way that doesn't involve, say, what if Batman sexually abused Robin?
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah, that does sound like some of the boys shit.
1: Like, I can't even remember what it's called anymore. I read it too long ago, but I just distinctly remember the feeling I had. So like, Yeah, I see the Bendis touches in Avon's work because he worked with him so often, but he... For as much as I have problems with Bendis, Bendis has a unique flair for writing that's difficult to imitate.
0: Was it Michael Avon Omings Victories?
1: <clears throat> yeah, that was it.
0: I remember reading that too. Um, I didn't hated it just wasn't that great
1: yeah and again I could be wrong this might just be a coincidence that I'm having flashbacks to the last time Oming did something it's just a pulpy character in what sounds like a noir-ish story this sounds a lot like something um that Bendis would have done a few years ago
0: wow well that's assuming that that, that's actually what it's a out. Like, Like I said, we yeah. know basically nothing. All we have is a cover page.
1: Yeah, again, I, like, again I'm again, i just making speculation. Yeah. I could be wrong. I've been wrong about things before, like uh, when Dororo came out uh, and Roland exp- and Cora explained to me what it likely was going to be, I initially was kind of reticent because like, oh crap, R-rated take on a uh, classic children's manga, that might turn out like Devil Man, Cry Baby, all over again, and in that case, I was wrong. So I would be perfectly happy if I was wrong.
0: Yeah, yeah, I would be too. Like I, I like I like Oming as an artist. He is a very distinct artist in the fucking in the current comics landscape. And I percent honest. It is kind of perfect for Dick Tracy. Like uh, his his art style is very much like an old school. It, it's more. It's more the. It's more the, like the pulpy era style of things. Um, very, very much a throwback. And having it be having it be Dick Tracy, like the cover page that was released, it is. It looks great, but it doesn't tell us shit about the actual story or the actual quality of the book. So I see where you're coming from.
1: Yeah. Again, mere speculation at this point. Yeah might not lead to anything
0: <laughs> yeah we'll see when the book actually comes out mm-hmm. ah, but anyway guess gonna do it for this week thank you for joining us i will be back at some fucking point more of this shit hopefully actually more there's not a not a whole lot to say about these books I guess anyway thank you for joining us until yeah. then though I'm dead and I'm Birdie. We'll I'll see you guys next time.